Welcome to episode 21 of the podcast of Lifeliner, The Judy Taylor Story. I am the author, Shireen Chichiboy. Chapter 21 at the police station. Cindy, my GP needs a full-time babysitter for her two children this summer. Someone to cook and shop for her during the day while she works, Judy announces to her eldest. I'll help you cook, and you can call me if you have any trouble. I'll drive you down every morning. Cindy shrugs. It is a chance to have a real job and earn real money. Besides, what her mother says goes. The summer starts off well. Judy helps Cindy cook spaghetti sauce and bake cookies in the evenings, and then package them up for transport the next day. She drives her daughter down to the doctor's home in the mornings, and while Cindy puts away the food, Judy chats briefly with her GP. Kathy had introduced Judy to her when she'd first moved up north. She takes care of Judy's tests when Jeej wants some done, and Jeej keeps her informed as to how Judy is doing with any nutritional difficulties. Finally, Judy has an opportunity to give back. Having Cindy babysit her GP's children supports the doctor in her new role as a single parent and benefits Cindy by giving her a chance to earn her own spending money. Judy sees it as a win-win situation for everybody. One day, the doctor nips back home to check on her children and Cindy and finds it empty. She stands in her living room thinking about where a teenage girl would want to be on a sunny summer day. The fairgrounds. She finds them behind the arena. Cindy has met up with two young men, and the three are smoking pot. A rather 1970s thing to do. She blasts Cindy, her worry and racing adrenaline adding fuel to her outrage. She has zero tolerance for drug use, any drug use, especially in front of her kids. She takes their hands and leads them off assuring Cindy that she will be phoning her mother. Judy's heart sinks when she hears her GP's angry voice on the other end of the telephone. Judy assures her that she has the situation under control. After hanging up, she waits for Cindy. As she waits, her mind wanders. She starts thinking about these last few years on TPN and how it's affected her family. She starts recalling memories of Cindy before all this trouble began, and they bring a smile to her face. Judy recalls the first time she tried to discipline Cindy after coming home from the hospital. She'd been sitting on the couch, unable to get up, angry at her daughter. She had told Cindy to come and stand in front of her so that she could spank her. Cindy complied. As she'd raised her hand, Cindy stepped forward. Come back here. I'm going to hit you, Judy commanded. Cindy stepped back. And as Judy once again raised her hand, she snickered and said, No, you're not, and stepped forward. Get back here, Judy saw blood. But again, Cindy stepped out of reach, sniggering. The futility of trying to spank her teenage daughter when she couldn't rise from the couch or chase her started Judy's belly shaking. She tried to control it, but her laugh bubbled out and the two howled. Judy smiles at that memory before her eyes refocus on her surroundings. She wonders what has happened between then and today. She puts her hand on her side to hold her G-tube still puts her other hand on the chair arm to leverage herself up and stands up slowly. She walks to the window to look out for Cindy. She prays. 
It does not go well at night. Cindy soon runs away to the circus, the dream of many a kid in the 1970s, and becomes a ticket seller. She moves from town to town until she ends up in a camping site near Bob Cajun. She's hungry and has no money. She goes to the local IGA and charges groceries on the GP's charge account, counting on the cashier not knowing that she no longer works for the doctor. But when the doctor sees the charges on her bill, she calls the police, who find Judy and charge her. She's where? Judy hangs up in disbelief. Cliff? Cindy's in jail in Lindsay. We have to go bail her out. Cliff grabs the car keys and storms out of the house with Judy in his wake as, as wide-eyed Julie and Miriam watch them leave. At the police station, they ask the officer on duty about Cindy. He fetches the arresting officer, who explains what had happened and what Cindy's been charged with. What should we do? Judy asks him. Well, ma'am, it's your decision. What do you recommend we do? Should we bail her out? Well, I'd leave her there. That's the best thing you can do. She won't learn anything if you bail her out. Leave her for a good two or three days. I might sink it into her. Then come back. He doesn't know the history of this family. To him, she's just another rebellious teenager. They discuss his suggestion briefly and agree. They ask to see her. He leads them to the cells, where Cindy leaps thankfully to the bars when she sees them. She cannot believe it when they tell her that they won't be bailing her out. The visit ends quickly, with Cindy calling out to Judy's retreating back, Don't leave me here! Don't leave me again! The outer door bangs shut, and she's alone without her mother. The drive home in the dark is endless. Judy decides to call her GP the next day to apologize. She feels embarrassed that her desire to help has ended so badly. Then she wonders if they've done the right thing leaving Cindy in jail. Her worry erupts as they drive along the pitch-black rural highway, their headlights the only thing lighting up what's ahead of them. I feel bad, Cliff. I know, but the cops said it was a better way to go. She starts crying. I know it isn't the right thing to do as a parent, but on the other hand, he lets the thought go unfinished. Bailed out several days later by her employer, Cindy returns home, but runs away again when Judy has to go into the hospital for some tests. When he returns home from work and discovers her gone, Cliff tells Julie to get in the car. They're going to go look for Cindy and bring her back before Judy finds out. But Cindy runs away again after Judy returns home. Cliff and Julie find her once again and bring her back. She keeps running. Cliff steams more with each episode, with each time he or the police hunt her down, with each time he sees Judy's broken heart dissolving in sobs when Cindy takes off. He's not happy with that, for he had told the girls when he brought Judy home back in 1971 not to upset their mother. Now, practically every night, Judy is crying and getting on the phone to the prayer chain to ask them to pray for Cindy. Finally, he tells Judy that he doesn't want to bring her back. We'll give her another try, she says. Well, I don't think we should, because she's just going to upset you again. She's doing this because of something I've done. If this hadn't happened to me, Cindy would be all right. I've got to try to get her on the right track. Julie reassures her mom that nothing she has done is the reason for Cindy's troubles. What she cannot voice is that for Cindy, as for Julie and Miriam, loving their mom is fraught with danger. The penalty for loving their mom is the knowledge that each day might be the last day they'll see her, that she will abandon them again just like she did back in 1970, and that this abandonment might be permanent.
Perhaps it's safer to be the ones to leave and to find love elsewhere, except they do not know how to do so without risk to themselves. Cliff reaches his limit. Judy is taking days to recover from Cindy's running. The emotions unbalance her routine, and he doesn't want her to die. He didn't fight for her all those long, miserable months to lose her now because of their eldest daughter. As he waits once more with Judy for the police to find Cindy, he makes a decision and tells Judy that Cindy must leave. They argue. He agrees to talk to his old employer about giving Cindy a job, and so Judy agrees to call her sister in Toronto and have Cindy stay with her. Judy jumps when she hears a thunderous knock on the door. She grabs her side and walks to the door as quickly as she can. She opens it and light spills out onto the tableau awaiting her. Cindy stands between two officers, her long black hair straggling down her tall body. Judy reaches for her daughter, bringing her in from the night, tears streaming down her face. Ever mindful of where it's safe to put her arms, Cindy hugs her mom gingerly and sobs on her shoulder. Judy leads her into the living room and orders Julie and Miriam to bed. When alone, Judy and Cliff tell Cindy their plans. You can't come home anymore, Cliff informs Cindy. You don't love me, Cindy shouts back in the familiar teenage refrain. Nobody loves me. Why do you always pick on me, Dad? She inhales raggedly. Because you're upsetting your mother. Cindy, he's not picking on you. He just wants you to stay in school and stop running away. You love everybody else more than me. You can't upset your mother no more, Cliff shouts at Cindy. The row lasts late into the night. The next day, Cliff packs up her suitcase in the car, frog marches her into the passenger seat, drives her to the bus station, buys her a one-way ticket to Toronto, watches her get on the bus, watches the bus leave, and drives home. He will never forgive her for devastating Judy. It isn't the thievery or the running away or the drug use that infuriates and terrifies him. It is the toll on Judy. She's on the bus, Cliff tells Judy as he walks back into the house. I don't want you calling her now. It'll only upset you. He sits in his chair and disappears behind the newspaper. Judy finds solace in her kitchen as she makes plans to contact Cindy without Cliff knowing and getting all upset. You have been listening to Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible, podcast by the author Shireen Gigiboy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King Is Back by Echoed, licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under instrumental music for film and video. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy.